Please stand for the reading of the gospel. I'll be reading this morning. The teaching will be based on these scriptures. We'll be on Mark. I'm going to start in uh, chapter 9, read about three or four verses, and then we're going to bump to 10, read about three or four verses. I'm going to read out of the New International Version. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, meaning Jesus, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called to twelve and said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servants of all. He took a little child, had him stand among them. Taking them in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children Come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and he blessed them. The word of the Lord. A couple of things uh, to say before I get underway with the message this morning, and uh, that is to offer a word of thanks and appreciation. Uh, first, for uh, all that this congregation does uh, Sunday after Sunday uh, for our children at the children's home. Uh, they participate here in Sunday school. Many of them participate in youth groups. We've had members of the congregation come and do Bible studies with our kids over at the children's home. Uh, and we really do appreciate uh the uh, outreach that you make uh, to our to our young folks. We uh, they come, as you know, from very difficult circumstances, uh, very troubled backgrounds, uh, and it's a really a wonderful experience for them to know that there are other people who who care about them just simply because they're human beings, uh, like all the rest, and their kids growing up trying to trying to make the best of the hand that's been dealt to them. So, thank you. So that's first. Secondly, I want to say thank you to. Uh, uh, this congregation for uh, to Mike, Pastor Mike, and uh, the Pastor Parish Relations Committee, and whoever else had a hand in uh, extending an invitation to me to uh, work uh, with Mike uh, as uh, assistant pastor uh, for this next little while. So, uh, big shoes to fill in trying to uh, follow Lucretia. Uh, I've known her for a long time and her husband. Uh, and uh, I've known all of your pastors for the last probably 40 years. Uh, and uh, in fact, uh, Don Shover was my mentor when I first entered the ministry. Uh, Don Shover, Don Kayampa, and I all graduated from the same seminary. We have that in background, uh, that uh, in our backgrounds, uh, and going way back. And I know that these are all very fine preachers. For so, for me to stand here in front of you this morning, uh, I do feel a bit intimidated. Uh, but we hope to, to make the best of it, and that you'll tolerate uh, those occasions uh, when I fill in for Pastor Mike. Having said all that, I want to uh, share with you this morning, uh, I still am in the employ of the United Methodist Home for Children. Uh, I expected to have my last official day be this Monday night, 
uh, June the 30th and uh, start here officially on Tuesday, July 1st. The July 1st part, that's still true and that's still accurate. However, I am going to remain uh, part-time at the children's home. My successor uh, has not yet been appointed. And so I've agreed to work a couple of days a week uh, or so uh, until that person is hired and comes on board. So uh, I'll be a little bit uh, frazzled maybe for a little while, but we'll, we'll get over it. And uh, I think uh, all, in, all in God's time, things will work out as they should. I guess I probably ought to uh, make another couple of introductions uh, here. My wife is here this morning, and I'm going to embarrass her, and I'll pay the penalty for that later. But she stands there. Dear, if you just at least raise your hand a little bit and stand and say hi. Uh, She's put up with an awful lot of me for a lot of years, so uh, I am truly indebted to her. Uh, for keeping our family going and doing all the all those things. She's had her own career. And my son over here, some of you probably have seen him at services. Uh, he comes occasionally with his girlfriend, Becky, and uh, they sit there in that same spot. Thank you. Sit down, son. You don't need to preach. I'll do that. And uh, we've gotten involved with the, uh, with the Rejoicing Spirit service here at uh, 4 o'clock on the fourth Sunday of every month. And I'll use this opportunity to put out a commercial for that event. Uh, It's designed to include a lot of uh, special needs folks, uh, and uh, they do have a wonderful spirit, and we can all learn a lot from them. So I invite you to come and participate in that service from time to time. Now, moving along, uh, we've got the commercials out of the way. I want to talk to you this morning about children and uh, the passage that we heard read just a little while ago, and think about as we reflect uh, the things that we can and do learn from kids. And I'm going to begin on a little lighter note, if you don't mind, uh, this morning. As I uh, reflect, uh, you, you got to picture a panel of, of kids, maybe like, you know, the big bunch of children down here this morning, and, and uh, the moderator uh, asking some questions of these children, serious questions, and hearing the response from the kids. And uh, here goes. How do you decide who to marry? Now that's an important question, right? How do you decide who to marry? Well, Alan, age 10, has it figured out. He says, you got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like if you like sports, she should like it that you like sports, and she should keep the chips and dip coming. (laughs) I'm a little afraid that uh, Alan's household is a little different than mine, but that's (laughs) another story for another time. Another question, how can a stranger tell if two people are married? Derek, age eight, says, well, you might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids. (laughs) Yes, probably. What do you think your mom and dad have in common? Lori, age eight, says, well, both don't want any more kids. Uh, I kind of like this one. This is kind of my favorite. What would you do on a first date that was turning sour? Okay? First date, not going well. What would you do? Well, Craig, age nine, says, I'd run home and play dead. (laughs) But Craig's not finished. He's not taking any chances. The next day, I would call the newspapers and make sure they wrote about me in all the dead columns. (laughs) And one final one. How do you, how would you make a marriage work? Ricky, age 10, says, well, you have to tell your wife she looks pretty, even if she looks like a dump truck. (laughs) I 
I don't know. Kids do say the darndest things. That was a book that Art Linkletter wrote many, many years ago. you got to be of a certain age to remember Art Linkletter. But but uh, we do learn a lot from kids. And uh, we're, we're going to shift now to a little more serious frame of mind. You know, my dad used to tell a story uh, about a man who lived on the farm next to ours. And uh, I'm just an old farm boy. We, I grew up in Lycoming County, east of Williamsport, just outside the little town of Hughesville. And uh, my dad was, uh, when we were really young and up to about 12, 13 years of age, he, d- dad farmed on what we called farmed on the half. He didn't own the farm, but we did the farming work and the, and the owner of the property got to keep half of all the crops. We, uh, we, we had dairy cows and, and so on. Well, uh, there was the ne- a neighbor's farm and then my great grandparents' farm. So there's a, this farm in between. Uh, and I don't know his first name, but his last name was Stroop, and everybody called him Stroopy. And, and most people in the area knew Stroopy. Uh, when we saw him, he was an eccentric sort of guy. He had a, ran the dairy farm, and he also owned a sawmill on his property. Now, you got to picture Stroopy. Stroopy always wore bib overhauls and, and boots that had been a lot of places on the farm, if you get my drift. And he had this unkempt beard, and he smoked, and he chewed tobacco. Okay. Now, you got to picture that, and he was always unkempt. He just, he just, he never trimmed the beard. It was, you know, whatever was there was, you know, leftover breakfast, whatever. Well, Stroopy decides to go into Hughesville and uh, buy a truck. And uh, he entered into onto the premises, and the salesman kind of looked him over and, and says, can I help you? And Stroopy says, yeah, I, I want to buy, buy a new truck. Well, the salesman has eyed him over a couple of times by now, and he's not sure that he's, uh, this man's going to buy any, anything very new. So he said, well, he said, I don't know about a new truck, but he said, I, we do have some older trucks on the back lot, and uh, I'll take you out and show you one of those, and maybe, maybe one of those would be of interest to you. Well, Stroopy just turned around in a huff. That's all he needed to hear. He stomped out of the store and went to Muncie, three miles away, and uh, bought two trucks. Two brand new trucks. He pulled the cash out of his pocket and paid for them on the spot. And then he called his hired man and uh, had him come to Hughesville. And the two of them drove these two brand new trucks to Hughesville, walked in the door and asked the salesman, come on, come on out here. See those two, two new trucks? I just bought them. I paid for them with cash. Guess who's never going to buy another vehicle from you or this dealership ever again? You know, what went wrong in this picture? Somebody made a real error in judgment, did they not? They took one look, took one look and decided this guy is not, not for me. Could have had a pretty good customer maybe for life. This guy who was new to the town of Uzil, you know, really hadn't done his homework. Well, that story was circulating around Uzil for quite a long time when I was, when I was young. And uh, I think it's a good lesson to learn. But it's not a new lesson. We have to learn that lesson over and over. This goes all the way back to Jesus' day. Remember the story we just read a little bit ago? Jesus is, uh, has been talking with his disciples. They've already been arguing among themselves who, uh, you know, who's the best, who's the greatest. Jesus brings a little child and places that child in their midst and has a little discussion. 
about them talking about humility and some other things that they need to know and they need to, to remember there is that second passage that we heard this morning very nearly related when Jesus again pulls the, the children together well actually they're Mothers and their kids are approaching Jesus and the disciples at this point in time say they can't be bothered. Just like the salesman with Stroopy. Christ's disciples were about ready to drive away some of the most important people they were ever going to meet. Busy and pushed and stressed out by so many what they considered truly important things. They were suddenly intruded upon by some mothers who requested that their children get to meet Jesus. You can just picture this, can't you? Children, for heaven's sakes, women, take these children and get out of here. Jesus has important things to do there. There are people that need to be healed. They're lined up as far as the eye can see. There are Pharisees who need to be put in their place. There are temples to cleanse. There are thrones to establish. Please don't bother the teacher with children. And as those rejected mothers were about to turn away, the author of the Gospel of Mark says, when Jesus saw what happened, he was indignant. I like that word. Jesus was indignant and said to them, let those children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like these little children shall never enter it. And then he took these children into his arms and he blessed them. The disciples almost turned away the very ones whom Jesus called closest to the kingdom of God. It impresses me on reading this story that Jesus took time to laugh and to hug and to play with children. Remember, he was on his way to Jerusalem. He was on his way to his own death. His final episode, the final moments in his mortal life. Jesus was making that way his way toward the cross. And one would think that with all of that in front of him, he would have felt that the time for play and for laughter was over. But clearly it was not. Jesus always had time for the children, and so should we. Children need and deserve the very best we have to offer in protection and in nurture and in education and in role modeling. One of the things that has impressed me so much about this congregation over the years uh, and especially since I've been able to see it firsthand from the children's home is how much you do care and how much of your time and energy and resources you do put in to the children and the youth and it is exceedingly important and pays great dividends in the future. We all need to be thinking along those lines because it is clearly important, important work. When Jesus said that we must become like little children, he did not mean for us to be childish, however. Repeatedly, the Bible urges us toward maturity, that is, to grow up. The Apostle Paul wrote, when I was a child, I thought and acted like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. But we're separating those things that are childish from those things that are childlike. And we'll talk about two of those in just a moment. But I, I need to digress for a moment. Do you remember when I talk about childish? Do you remember if you had a two-year-old in your household or a three-year-old? We don't call them terrible twos for nothing, do they? Tantrums and that no, 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 no and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know what those kids grow up to be, those who never outgrow that? I just read that the other day. These kind of people become professional baseball managers. 
Oh, the ones that just never. Some of you get it later. No, we need to think about the childlike nature that Jesus was talking about. And just two things I'll comment on very, very briefly. First, Jesus commended the humility of children. Jesus actually said, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is considered the greatest in heaven. By way of contrast, we adults often have ego problems, don't we? We get caught up in titles and positions and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes we can become big-headed or self-centered. Or often we're trying to cover our inferiority complexes with some kind of layer of cockiness. When Jesus called us to be like little children, he meant that we should feel so secure and so affirmed in God's love that we won't need to brag or put somebody else down in order to make ourselves feel more important. Some years ago, the St. Paul School of Theology in Kansas City was looking for a new president. They had a lot of applications, as you might imagine, over a hundred applications, and they whittled that number down to five, and the five were absolutely all eminently qualified to be president of that theological school. So how are they going to make a decision? Well, somebody got a, a really good idea on that search committee. They said, you know, let's Let's spread out. Let's go, let's go to some of the institutions where these people have worked. And uh, we got we have all kinds of wonderful recommendations from other administrators and from other big shots, so-called big shots on campus. But let's talk to some of the rank and file, some of the people who, you know, whose titles aren't perhaps as impressive, but whose work is nevertheless important. So they went and they talked to the secretaries and they talked to the custodians and they talked to the directors of the facilities, and they talk to those kind of people whose uh, names often aren't the people who are making recommendations for presidents and CEOs. And uh, after they came back, they sat down, and, you know, they, you know, they said, we were, we were at, at one school, and we talked to the secretaries, and we talked to the head of the custodians, and they absolutely just bubbled over with enthusiasm for, for this man, whose name is William McElvaney. And they said, what a wonderful human being he is and how he treats absolutely everybody on campus exactly the same way, with tremendous dignity and respect. And he said, and the search committee said, that's the kind of person we want. And George McElvaney was hired at that point as the president of St. Paul's School of Theology. It doesn't matter to me. Hopefully it does not matter to you what somebody's job title is or whether they even have a job title. What matters to me is what kind of people they are. And every human being deserves our respect and our trust until at least such time as they betray it, do they not? We need to be humble like those children. There is a second quality that Christians should emulate, and that is the ability to trust completely. I'm going to read two paragraphs to you from a story from Dr. Bill Knight, who is a very respected uh, preacher and writer, I steal, uh, borrow, uh, use, quote a lot of his stuff. Uh, and this is uh, two, two, two paragraphs. He said, when I was 16 years old, my little brother Joe was just four. He was my favorite little buddy, and we went to a lot of places together. Now, my judgment at age 16 left a lot to be desired. 
I would take my little brother up on a high diving board, drop him off, and immediately jump in and retrieve him. Now, Joe could not swim. Nevertheless, as I pulled him from the water, he would beg me to do it again. Now, if you're a teenager, please, down here, I'm not recommending that this is something you do with your little brothers and sisters if you have them. Uh, as I said, this, uh, and as Bill acknowledges, his judgment wasn't the best at age 16. But you see, his little brother had no fear. He'd go up on the high diving board, drop the little brother in, immediately jump in, and there he was. Complete and absolute trust. You know, a little child places his life completely in the hands of others. His dependence is utter and complete. And uh, that's what God expects of us in our faith with him. Our faith in God must be complete. We must be utterly loyal. Karl Barth was probably the greatest theological mind of the 20th century. He lectured many years ago at the University of Chicago. And following his lecture, a question and answer time with the audience was scheduled. Now, he's at the University of Chicago and uh, at the theological school there, one of the most respected in, in all the world, not just in this country, but all over the world. And he's got all these college professors and seminary students, and they've got a question and an opportunity to learn from this, from this man. So you've got to picture this. And uh, as the story goes, there was a certain student who asked a question, obviously expecting to receive a deep and cerebral answer. And Dr. Barth, uh, he queried, what is the greatest truth of the Christian faith? Now, I can just imagine everybody really paying attention, sliding a little bit forward in their seats. What is the greatest truth of the Christian faith? Dr. Karl Barth thought for just a moment. And he says, the greatest truth of the Christian faith is this. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. I think he's right. That's it. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? If you do, will you live it? And will you share it? Go into the world. Take God's love with you wherever you go. Live and believe and trusting in God utterly and completely, now, always, and forever. Amen.